even with a rudimentary um, overview of the Gospels, you, you can't help but see that one of the trajectories of Jesus' teaching is centered around service. How the disciples and the people that were in the crowds that watched and witnessed Jesus ministering, how they are to relate to other people. And without getting into too many specifics, some of these teachings were centered around the parable of the Good Samaritan. You remember that one, right? Or the greatest commandment, right? When the lawyer comes to Jesus and says, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And then he continues, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And that second one, you start to get uh, in, uh, of what it means of how not only do we relate to God, but how do we relate to other people in this idea of service. And he not only taught about it, he actually modeled it in so many different ways. Remember Zacchaeus? Remember uh, G Jesus comes into this town and, and Zacchaeus, a tax collector, considered one of the lowest of the low, even below the sinners, right? There were the tax collectors. And, and Jesus comes and, and he not only uh, re-establishes uh, uh, Zacchaeus into the people, into his, his heritage, but he goes and has dinner with him at his house, which was a largely, uh, um, uh, largely uh, wonderful thing for him to do because uh, nobody else was going to do such a, a, such a thing. So you see, just an overview of the Gospels, you see that Jesus is teaching about service, how we relate to other people, and then he also models it for us. And so before we jump into our passage today, I just, I just want to ask you the same question that I asked you last week. Can you serve Christ without any humility? without any kind of denying of yourself, without any kind of emptying of yourself, can you serve Christ without any humility? And me just asking this question gives the assumption that you can, or at least pretend to serve Christ without, any, without humility. Our mentality is that there always should be something in it for me. Can you serve Christ without humility or without humility and at the same time follow Jesus' teachings and his examples of humility? I mean, what, what it may look like to serve Christ without humility might look like this. I mean, someone who goes through the, emo the emotions, they, they want this external piety. They want people on the outside to see, well, that person is certainly doing something of, of uh, humility, or at least serving some, displaying uh, an aspect of humility. Or maybe you can serve Christ, um, but do just the minimum, right? Wherever that one step over that line of where it might hurt us. We're going to stop. And, and I want you to notice something about these. That each and every one of these are internal things. I mean, it's not our job for me. It's not my job to look at Jake and say, you have no humility here. Or for me to, to look at my family and say, you have no humility here. You're not serving Christ. These are all for us to look internally and ask the question, am I serving Christ with humility? Interesting, there's not much noticeable difference 
on the outside. For someone who is serving Christ with humility and someone who might not be serving Christ with humility. We are wired without any effort on our own. And it happens almost automatically. We are wired to seek the road of least internal resistance. Self-centeredness is is this drive. There's this drive of self-centeredness for personal gain is thrust upon us. I mean, look around the community. Look around our world. We are born with this sense of survival instinct. We're wired to prioritize our own survival and our own well-being. And so sometimes serving Christ without humility is almost, we don't even realize that it might be happening until we reflect back. And it might be not something that's done as a malicious thing, but it might just be we're looking, we're, we're following our internal survival instinct. Or maybe there are external pressures or maybe the norms of the world that are thrust upon us to emphasize competition or uh, material success. Or you should be looking out for number one or your self-interest. These can also shape our behavior and reinforce the idea that we should get something out of this. Anytime we do something for somebody else and we serve in something away, what's in it for me? Or maybe we have this idea of limited perspective. We don't understand really what's going on around us uh, because we have blinders on. And we can't see what 10 steps or 20 steps down the road may look like. And how what we do now for this one thing we do now for some personal gain is going to actually affect the outcome down the road. So what I want to do is look at today one of the culminations of Jesus' example of humility when it comes to serving. Now let me set up the, the, the stage here before, and we're going to kind of, I know verses 1 through 17, for those of you who might be like me and a little bit of OCD, don't get all flustered because we're not going to go down through these verses in order, okay? All right, so be okay with that. But here's the setting. You know, Jesus is now at the end of his public ministry, and in John's gospel there is this distinct change where his public ministry ends and his private ministry begins. This is going to be the time where Jesus is now going to sit with his disciples and he's going to emphasize those most important topics for his disciples to remember and he's going to lift them from the last three years of his ministry. It's the highlight reel. If you think sports, it's ESPN's top ten plays of the week. Right? It's these top ten lists that he's going to just focus in on. This is what the scholars or people who write about this passage will talk about as the farewell discourse. The, 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 what are you going to say now that you know that the end of your life is, is, is uh, upon you? And so it starts in verses 4 through 5. Jesus rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments. He takes on the uh, towel and he wraps it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet. And to wipe them with the towel that he had wrapped around him. Now, after supper, we get a, a specific time. They had dinner. There has been some time now since the time that they walked into this room. There has been some time that has transpired. The time that has elapsed 
between the time that they walked in this room and now that Jesus is getting up to wash the disciples' feet. They've talked about a lot of things around the table, but the teaching of Jesus has not yet started. Jesus does not say a word about what he's about to do. He doesn't explain. He just begins by laying aside his outer garments, and he wraps a towel around his waist. And this is a very uh, common image for that time that that person is going to do something of a servant that a servant should do. It's like if you walk out of the house and you are carrying your basketball shoes and you're wearing a jersey, you are going to play basketball. Putting on this, this uh, towel, taking off your outer garments, this is a very, uh, uh, everybody knew what this was, meant. Everybody probably in that room, their anxiety levels started to rise. What are you doing, Jesus? And he begins by pouring water into a basin and washing the disciples' feet one by one and drying them with a towel. You can't help but ask Jesus. Not the disciples asking Jesus, but knowing what Jesus is doing in this. This is his farewell discourse. He's going to talk about the highlights. He's going to zero in on those most important things lifted from the three years of teachings and modeling that he had done over uh, in his ministry, that these disciples. You can't help but say, hey, Jesus, you know, is there really enough time to wash the disciples' feet? Jesus, shouldn't you get a PowerPoint out right now and you start going bullet point to bullet point? Shouldn't you have a handout for them so that's laminated nicely that they can put in their hip pocket and they can pull out? Now, what did Jesus say about that? Yeah, that's right. Jesus said this. Is this really how you want to spend this time before your death? And he does. And maybe, uh, maybe even more than we are bothered by how Jesus actually uh, schedules the next few hours with his disciples... You can't help but ask also, were the disciples bothered by this? It wasn't probably until Jesus started filling the basin that they started to see what Jesus was about to do. Almost certainly if you were in that room, and imagine if you were, all the nonverbal communication between the disciples. What's he, what, what's he doing? What's he about to do? And when Jesus came to Peter... Peter does what he's good at, right? He verbalizes the nonverbal. Peter says to Jesus, you shall never wash my feet. I get Peter. Has anybody ever done a foot washing? Yeah. <laughs> we have it on video, right? <laughs> I was at uh, a, a, a church um, earlier in my ministry, and... Um, and it was during Lent that the senior minister said that he was going to wash the congregation's feet. The first thing that popped in my mind was the anxiety level that wanted me to ask, am I going to have to wash people's feet? And then as I'm sitting there and, and, uh, and, and he's washing each other's, uh, uh, one another's feet, I... I uh, um, I wondered if I was going to be okay if he washed my feet. I mean, think for a moment. Would you be more bothered washing someone's feet or having someone wash your feet? 
no matter where you fall on that line, you, you have to deal with a little bit of pride. For me to wash your feet, doesn't matter who you are. I have to give up a little bit of myself, but maybe in one sense, I can, um, I, can have, I can lean into this idea. This is why I wanted to lean more towards washing people's feet than having my feet washed. Because if I wash your feet, maybe someone will say, oh, look how wonderful John is. You know, usually the one in our culture, what we do is we will elevate the one who serves rather than the one who is served. Isn't that the truth? No one's going to go and say, well, look at Drew. Well, they might say it about Drew. But look at, look at how wonderful Drew is that he let Laura wash his feet. I mean, nowhere, no matter where you sit on there, you have to deal with pride. If I'm having my feet washed, the pride of letting someone wash my feet. And then if I am the one who's washing the feet, i got to deal with the pride of what does this, am I internally, why do I want to wash someone else's feet? Is it because I want to raise myself? And maybe this is where the disciples were. But they knew this. They knew that Jesus shouldn't be doing this. It wasn't going to be them. And they want, didn't want any of their, their other disciples to wash their feet, let alone Jesus. But they knew it should not be Jesus. And so when Jesus ended or finished this, it says that Jesus resumed his place at the table of honor. He put his outer garments on. And resumed his place and then asked him this question. Do you understand what I done to you? Obviously, nope. I mean, Jesus, do you really have to ask that question if you have, you know, people are nodding, I get it, I get it, right? Obviously, Jesus is asking that question because he knows they did not understand. They have no idea. The only reason it had to be, uh, the only reason it had to be explained is because Jesus' reason for doing it, or rather, the, the reason that was gleaned for him doing it was not obvious. Remember now, Jesus has not said a word yet. He, he just stood up. He acted. And how many different ways could this have been explained without words? Was there this temptation for the disciples to see themselves as great because Jesus washed their feet? Was this the reason, Jesus, that you want to put us in our place? You want us to do another teaching on us knowing that we're all equal, we're all brothers in Christ? We're all on the same team? Was, there, uh, uh, was the reason that Jesus washed their feet because there was no servant there? And it was to point out that someone dropped the ball. Who didn't ask the servant to come to, uh, to wash the feet? Someone messed up. And so I'm going to illustrate this by doing it. Do you understand what I've done for you? I want you to remember to always do everything that you are supposed to do. How assumptions. Isn't it amazing how these assumptions almost without any effort, determine interpretation. Jesus continues, he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right. Disciples are nodding their head. 
Yep, nothing new here, Jesus. We know this. And then Jesus says this, If I then, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. Now this is disturbing. Disturbing that you want us to wash each other's feet. But Jesus, before I lean into this, you've got to tell me why. Give me more neat details, Jesus. Maybe they wanted more details because they wanted a way out. They wanted to rationalize a way out. Maybe they were supposed to only wash Jesus, people's feet at Passover. Maybe this was the lesson. When you come to Passover, do you see how many ways that it could be molded into a self-centered way of answering the question, what do I get out of this? And Jesus continues. He says, for I've given you an example that you should also do just as I have done for you. Just consider how truly significant it was for Jesus to wash their feet. Maybe Jesus dismissed the servant on purpose. Maybe this was his plan altogether, all along, to get to this point where he could have an object lesson where he could do something so incredibly outlandish. The disciples had been there for some time, and the servant wasn't there, and they had dinner, and they noticed. They had to notice there was no servant there. Someone should have been washing their feet. But did you notice that none of them volunteered. Maybe even some of them started uh, working up the pecking order, each thinking, it's not my job, but I know who should have done it. Matthew. He's the tax collector. He is the one who's below all of us. Maybe he should do it. I mean, how long had it been that this occupied their mind? Were they thinking about this through dinner? Could it have been some time? I mean, just think of how this almost certainly controlled how those 12 thought about each other. Think for a moment the pride that each one of them had, thinking that it was not their job, nor was their, their responsibility. And of course, undoubtedly, each of them had their own idea of who should do it. And one thing's for sure, no one thought it was Jesus' job. Now think for a moment here the stark contrast between the disciples' pride and the contrast between Jesus' humility. I mean, you can almost feel and imagine, I want you to feel the humility the disciples would have needed to volunteer to wash each other's feet. To go through that, to take that step and say, I don't care what everybody will think about me. And I don't care what somebody else will think about my, my actions here. They might think, oh, you're just doing that because you want recognition. To step out and to serve. But the amount of humility they needed was nowhere near the amount of humility Jesus displayed. Now, how do I know this? Because now I want us to go back to these very first three verses. 
that John gives us this little prologue here. Look at what John says. I mean, John probably did not realize this in the moment. This is 30, 40, 50, 60 years later as he's writing this book, he's thinking back. I get it. I get it. Look at what he says. Now, before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, depart from this world. To the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end during supper when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands and that he had come from God and he was going back to God. This is the prologue. Look at all these things that Jesus knew beforehand. He knew where he had his hour had come. This is a theme in John's gospel. The hour was talking about his crucifixion. Remember when Jesus with, was with his mother in the wedding of Cana, and Jesus' mother came to him and said, Jesus, they're out of wine. And he says to his mother, woman, and listen, when was the last time you ever called your mother woman? Don't do it. But Jesus said, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not come. At the end of chapter 12, Greeks come to, to uh, spend, uh, ask Jesus a question. We don't know what that question is, but what John does tell us there, Jesus knew that his hour had come. So that's what actually uh, was the catalyst that started the, uh, the farewell discourse. So Jesus knew that his hours had come. Jesus knew that his death was right around the corner. And then Jesus also knew that the Father had given him all things. I mean, think of this, that the Father had given him all things. This is, this is amazing that Jesus knew this. And then that Jesus knew where he had come from and to where he was going. What amazing insight that John gives us. Think for a moment, knowing all of this, does this help us understand why Jesus washed his disciples' feet? It doesn't for me. It doesn't tell us why Jesus washed his disciples' feet. It does tell me that, in the, that he washed his disciples' feet, even though all of this is true. And so this is a lot of humility that Jesus had to express to actually wa uh, to wash his disciples' feet. I mean, think what we would expect here. If we knew that our death was imminent or something drastic was going to happen, would we at this moment be doing something for somebody else or would we be trying to do self-preservation? Look, Jesus, he did, look, he went. He was frightened about the cross. Remember the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane? Lord, if there is a plan B, can we have a plan B? Can this cup pass from me? But said with humility, not my will, but your will. I mean, if Jesus had some self-preservation that he wanted to, uh, to instill in the, his disciples, he said, listen, we need to mobilize. They're about to take me. We need to have swords and, and guards, and we need to recruit all those people that have been blessed through my ministry here, that they have to come and protect me. He doesn't. Knowing that the Father had given him all things, if I were Jesus, I would probably have a little bit of self-reliance. 
I would probably say if I know that God had given me all authority and had given me all things and all power, I didn't need, I wouldn't need anybody, but I would rely on my self-reliance, right? Or how about this, knowing where he had come from and knowing where he was going? You know what my expected response would be? That I would say, you know what, I have some self-worth. Look at who I am. My father, I've come from him, I'm going there. I have some self-worth. It reveals to us this, this information about how great of amount of humility that Jesus willingly modeled for his disciples with the expectation that they should serve others with humility. And this tells us how serious he was. Remember when Peter said, you shall never wash my feet? Notice what Jesus says in response to him. If I don't wash your feet, you have nothing to do with me. This is how serious Jesus was about service with humility. Peter, maybe out of pride, said, I, I, you're not gonna, no way, no way, you're not going to wash my feet, Jesus. And Jesus, probably sternly, no smile on his face, but looked straight into Peter's eye and said, look, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, there's the door. But Jesus, you, you, you said that you were going to build a church on me, right? I was the rock. Doesn't matter. If you can't get a handle around this, there's the door. You will have nothing to do with me. Jesus was serious about this. So what's the lesson here? What is this that we can take home here? Just these four words. Serve me with humility. That's what Jesus says to each and every one of us. Serve me with humility. And you know what? Knowing this is not just enough. Jesus even says that in verse 17. If you know these things, that's wonderful. In fact, he doesn't even see, say that it's wonderful. He says, blessed is if you just don't know them, but you do them. You do them. Look, this is not just about serve, washing someone's feet. Do you know what the lesson is here? It is us being able to tear down those walls within us that prevent us from becoming more Christ-like. There it is. Anything that stands in the way of us becoming more like Jesus and following his example and allowing what he models to unfold into our lives, anything that prevents us, we need to look seriously at why and deal with it. It's not just about serving by washing feet. Remember when Jesus, just a few verses later, later in this chapter, he says, a new commandment that I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. But what if we change that word to this? A new commandment I give to you, that you serve one another just as I served you. You are to serve one another. How about we go one step further? A new commandment I give to you, that you should forgive one another, just as I have forgiven you. You should also, 
you are also to forgive one another. One more. A new commandment I give to you, that you give to one another, just as I have given to you, you are also to give one another. What word would you put in there? What is the word that you would put in there that Jesus teaches and models? Do you know how service serves us? Because you cannot serve Christ without humility. And it's an internal struggle. You might be able to pretend. You might be able to get everybody on the outside to think that you're doing service. But in reality, you can't serve Christ without this. When Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, he said, pick up your cross, follow me. Or did he say something before that? Deny yourself. Do you see how important this is? It is so important that Jesus is willing to say to me, as one of your ministers, few, if you can't get this right, there's the door. How wonderfully Jesus models this for us. Let me end with a personal example. Last Christmas, about six months ago, someone gave me an envelope. And inside that envelope was $1,000. Ten $100 bills. He says, John, this is what I want you to do with this. Over the next couple weeks, what I would like you to do is I want you to give this money away. He told me, uh, I was not sure, rather, you know, at first uh, I thought this was going to be easy. I mean, how hard could it be to give money away? Then my mind thought about being as transparent as I could so that Bob, or that this, this friend of mine, Dame's Bob, I guess, uh, would not think that there was uh, any proprietary, so I started listing the names on that envelope. I started getting a report together because of the dates, the amounts, the details of why I felt this portion was supposed to go to them. So through the process, my uh, anxiety levels peaked at making sure that I dotted every I and crossed every T so that there was no hint of impropriety, right? And on that day, I gave an account. I told him everything. I, I, I wanted to have a spreadsheet and charts. Would have had a PowerPoint, too, if I thought it would help. And then he said to me, he said, John, this is my Christmas present to you. I thought there would be something else that was coming. But he meant the $1,000 to give away. What, a gift? Really? Your gift to me was extra work, seriously. It would have been better if you had, uh, you know, that uh, one of those uh, seasons of ministers that are fairly less busy, you know, maybe you could have done this in July. But it was just that. It was a gift. You know why? Because I learned a lot about me. I learned about those questions in my mind, asking, hmm, I wonder if that person deserves this. How easy it could have been just to go through 
emotions. And at each moment that I gave something away, that I could have felt so wonderful if I just made sure they knew it was me giving it away. And how tempted it was I was to just, oh, John, you're wonderful. Thank you. And I could have held back that it was somebody else that was giving it. Humility and pride were at the battle of each So what stands in the way? What stands in the way of your self-preservation? What is it about your self-worth? Or you believe it's about your pride kind of leans into self-reliance. What is it that you need to tackle? And listen... This is not something that you should just do, like drinking from a fire hydrant. Just pick one. Just lean into it this week. And ask, Lord, where am I holding on to my self-preservation, my self-worth, my self-reliance? And where do I need to break free from that? So may it be for you. Gracious God, I pray that as we lean into this week to come, I pray that you would allow our hearts and our minds to, uh, to be aware of your presence. That as we lean into uh, interactions for this upcoming week, that you, O oh God, would continue to bring to mind this example and that we would ask those difficult questions on the inside. Why do I feel the need to do this? Is it about me? I pray, oh God, that we would all become more Christ-like because that is the goal. And sometimes becoming Christ-like is like getting a tooth pulled at the dentist. It's painful. And nobody looks forward to it. But it's a necessity. So reveal that in our hearts and our lives this week. All for your glory, we pray. Amen.